audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10.30 a.m. Now this name might be somewhat Greek to you. Maybe you don't know this name, but some of you might. Uh, the name is Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly. He is a coach. Coached for a while in the NFL. Before that, he coached in college. Didn't do so great in the NFL, so he went back to coaching college again. And when he went back to college, coach, he coached for Notre Dame. And uh, brought them to a, back to a kind of a place of prominence. They had kind of not, they kind of slid under the radar there for a little while. And then, last year, he left Notre Dame to go coach at Louisiana State University, LSU. Oh, my goodness. I forgot. We're, we're surrounded by OU fans. I forgot we have some LSU fans, too, because probably the only people who can compare to OU fans, from what I've heard, are LSU fans. Okay? And that's a compliment many of the OU fans who here would say. Okay, so, so Brian Kelly, you remember what he did last year. You, will know, you know what I'm talking about. Okay? And I'll tell you, um, LSU fans are kind of happy with Brian Kelly right now. Just, just won a big game yesterday. All right? But there was a moment in time where they weren't quite too sure, and he kind of took some heat. The very first time Brian Kelly, in a public setting, got the opportunity about a year ago, all right, a little less than a year ago, to talk before a group of LSU fans. <laughs> he came and changed his accent, changed even through, I think even threw a y'all in there or something like that. And he took some heat for this. I mean, he absolutely took some heat that this guy came from Indiana down to LSU and tried to talk like a Southerner. I got a challenge for anybody who leveled that at him, okay? Here's your challenge. I challenge you to go to Baton Rouge or go to Memphis. Go to a diner there. I'm not talking about McDonald's. I'm talking about going to a mom-and-pop diner, all right? And you go to that place, you order food, you sit there for an hour and a half and eat, and when you leave that place, you tell me whether or not your accent has changed just a little bit. You tell me, because I tell you, it will. And it is not hypocritical. It's not racism to try to sound like those you're around. As a matter of fact, it's quite natural, It really is. If you don't do it intentionally, the subconscious will take over and you will start doing it. You will. It's it's, it's something called finding common ground. That's That's a little bit of what I'm talking about here. Okay, as I told you, when we jumped into Acts 15 last week, we jumped into something that was very important. When there was an issue in the early church, And there was some sort of subject that needed to be discussed, some sort of debate, some sort of controversy, whatever it might be. They would have something called a council. They would come together, they would bring the minds together, and they would would pray, they would argue, they would debate, they would try to come to a decision. This took place really for one of the first times, as we talked about last week, in Jerusalem. There was, you see, Jerusalem is where the church began, but kind of the center, the headquarters of the church, it kind of switched a little bit to a little over 100 miles or so off to the north, northwest to a place called Antioch. And what was happening here was there were believing Pharisees within the church. Now understand this. These were people who were Jewish religious leaders who came to faith in Christ Jesus, all right? 
And after this happening, and, and they, the believing that Jesus is the Christ, they kind, of, they kind of brought some of that belief system with them. And let me tell you something. They weren't trying to find common ground with these new Gentile believers popping up all over the place. What they were trying to do was to make the Gentiles assimilate into them without compromise. They even had a, a kind of a missionary journey of their own to try to get this accomplished. And the demand that Gentiles be circumcised, that's what we looked at, and that's what the first part of 15 is about. There was this demand amongst some of the Jews to say the Gentiles need to be circumcised. They need to follow the law of Moses. And this had reached out pretty impressively, even as far as Asia Minor, where Paul and Barnabas have gone on their first missionary journey. At this point in time, we're not going to discuss it any further. We're just going to say to this point in time, Paul and Barnabas have spoke at this council. Simon Peter has spoken at this council. And you can sum up what they had to say by this. We are saved by grace. So to kind of summarize that for us, look at verse 11. This is where we ended last week, and this will be a good place to repeat to get us back into what we are at. Verse 11 of Acts 15 says this, but we, this is Peter speaking, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. Let me tell you what that means. That is common ground. The Gentiles are saved, the Jews are saved, and they are saved the same way by the grace found in Jesus Christ and his shed blood. Okay, so after this, there's a little bit of kind of an awkward silence, you know, as Peter has gotten up to speak. And anytime there's silence, Paul kind of speaks up. So that's what he does. Look at verse 12. It says, all the people kept silent and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Now in that verse, two words really stand out, signs and wonders. What basically Paul and Barnabas are doing here are backing up the testimony of Peter. Peter said, I was the first one to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. I went to a home of a guy named Cornelius and while I was giving my sermon, the Holy Spirit fell upon the people there. So God immediately on the Gentiles put his stamp of approval, that is the seal, by the way, of our salvation. I hope you understand that. That lives on to today. The Holy Spirit within us, that is the sign and the seal of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Okay? So he says, God gave them salvation. He said, who was I not to agree with that? And shortly after that, Peter said, hey, we've got to get these people in the water. Who can say we're not going to baptize these people? God just put his stamp of approval on them. So we must do this. So then Paul and Barnabas say, well, God's still putting his stamp of approval on these people. We've been preaching the gospel to Gentiles in city after city after city. We've been doing it for going on two and a half, three years now. And every place we go and we preach the gospel, what does God do? Miracles, signs, wonders. That's what God does. So God is still putting his approval, his sign of approval on them. So, we've got all of this going on, and now finally, it's time for James to talk. Let me tell you about James. There's a number of Jameses in the Bible, so we've got to make sure we're talking about the right one. This James is kind of the leader among the elders in the church of Jerusalem, also just happened to be the half-brother of Jesus, okay? This guy was respected by, by the Jews in a big, big way. And James is going to get up and speak, and if this, if this 
this very, very conservative Pharisee circumcision party are thinking that there's going to be support for them from James, they're going to be really, really disappointed, all right? Guess what, guys? I know you know this. Surprises come in all shapes and sizes. Oh, yeah, they do, okay? And most surprises can be placed in one of two categories. Pleasant surprises. We like those. How many here? Oh, no, don't raise your hand. Donna's here. She doesn't like me asking you to raise your hand, so raise your hand. But I think we can, it was safe to say that most of us probably like pleasant surprises. You know, I hope we get a pleasant surprise tomorrow in the form of rain and a lot of it. Remember, three inches before you get your mud angel, okay? Three inches, all right? So you know that. Okay, so, so uh, that would be a pleasant surprise. You know what would be a, at this point in time, since they're saying 100% chance, you know what would be a not-so-pleasant surprise? If it didn't rain, Okay? So, so that's usually the two forms that surprises come in, pleasant and not so pleasant. This is the thing that James is going to say. He gets up and he starts to speak. And when he gets up, he commands the attention of all because there, everybody there respects James. And James, his words are going to make it clear that God's choosing of the Gentiles should not have been surprising. Okay? This should not have surprised anyone. So let's take a look at it. Verse 13. After they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. Now don't get confused here. This Simeon he's talking about, it's Simon Peter. Remember James? He's been around a while. He's known Peter for a long, long time. Okay? So he just kind of goes back to his, his old, kind of his Jewish name, Simeon, Simon. He continues, verse 15. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After these things, I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins and restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from a long time ago. Let me tell you something. When you have the prophets, this is the prophet Amos, by the way, and when you have a prophet being quoted in the New Testament, an Old Testament prophet, and you see the name David show up, it's talking about Jesus. You see, because on Jesus' earthly lineage, now on this side, he was, he was God, but on this side, he had an earthly heritage through Joseph. And Joseph's great, 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 now I haven't counted I haven't counted the generations, I apologize. But let's go back there, quite a few greats. And you look at the great-great-great-grandpa of Joseph, you're going to somewhere back there find David, the David, King David. You see, that's why Jesus was called the son of David. And that's why the Messiah would come from the line of David. So when we see David spoken about, it's talking about Jesus and his fulfillment of that promise that there would be a Savior that would come through the line of David. So first of all, we're talking about Jesus here, this rebuilding of the temple, rebuilding the ruins. That's what Jesus did to bring God's kingdom back to power in this world. Now, and he did that for the purpose that all the nations, not just, the, not just Israel, not just the Jews, but all of them would come to Christ. So James speaking 
not only from what God has done, but also speaking from the prophet says, guys, why does this surprise us that the Gentiles are a part of the equation now? This has been spoken of for a long, long, long time. I got a question for you. Have you ever desperately wanted to jump into the middle of a conversation that you weren't a part of, that you just observed? For one reason in particular, because these people need your wisdom. You ever, you ever been there before? It can, happen in, it can happen in the checkout line at Walmart. It can happen in a church foyer. It can happen at an athletic event. It can happen in all kinds of places where you hear and you're just like, these people, bless them, they just don't know what they're talking about. And, 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 and maybe some of you, maybe some of you have just jumped right in the middle of it. Said, well, since you asked, and they look at you saying, we didn't ask. We never asked, okay? Little hint, don't do that. Don't, don't jump in the middle of this conversation. They don't want to hear you. They don't, vast majority of the time. If you're going to do it, it better be important. It better be about KU or something like that. I mean, it better be really important if you're going to jump in the middle of a conversation like that, all right? James is not only going to speak up, he's now going to give his opinion. And let me tell you something about James. His opinion would be heard by the people who were there. As I told you, he was respected. And he'd been around a while. And the first thing that he says, you can look at it in verse 19. The first thing he says is this, therefore. Anytime you see therefore in scripture, you need to look at what comes in front of it, okay? Because that's what therefore is referring to. And what is being referred to is this. The Gentiles are now a part of the church. God's miracles have brought this about and he's put his stamp of approval on them. And not only that, this was predicted through the prophets many, many times, many, many years ago. Therefore, James opens up his mouth. Look at verse 19. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. Okay, I told you, James, his half-brother is Jesus. Jesus had something to say about trouble, but he phrased it up a little bit differently. The way Jesus phrased this up was in this way. He said, if anybody causes one of my little ones to stumble... It would be better for a millstone to be tied around his neck and him to be thrown into the depths of the sea than face me. I mean, does Jesus care about his little ones? Does he care about his people? He absolutely does. That's the way Jesus talked about troubling, putting stumbling blocks in front of his people. And James is saying... It's my judgment that we don't put any stumbling blocks. I know what Jesus had to say about stumbling blocks, okay? And we better not be putting any stumbling blocks in the way of God's people. And he just reiterates saying with, it kind of in between the lines of this, Jews and Gentiles come to salvation the same way. They have common ground there. They come through the blood of Jesus Christ. They come through the grace 
offered because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And guess what? It is enough. Nothing needs to be added to that. He said we can't be troubling our our Gentile brothers and sisters with these burdens. Jesus is enough. And he continues on. And this gets a little interesting what happens next. In verse 20, he uses something. He says, right. What I want you to understand, next week, we are going to actually look through, and we're going to do it very, very quickly, because next week, the portion of Acts 15 that we'll look at almost as kind of an introduction to what we're really going to look at is just verbatim what James has just said. Meaning this, James shares his opinion, they're going to talk about it, they're going to discuss it, and then they're going to write a letter that basically looks like what he said and write that letter to all of the Gentile churches. Okay, Like I said, we'll go through that kind of quickly because it's just going to be kind of almost verbatim what James says here. So, this is his judgment. He says, this is what we need to write then. He says, we must write to them that, verse 20, that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him since he has read in the synagogues every Sabbath. All right, we'll come back to verse 20. Verse 21 first. Basically what James is saying here is this. For our Jewish believing brothers and sisters, are are those who are Jewish in their roots, maybe even some of the proselytes out there who were the Gentiles who became basically Jews as much as they could. And there were people from both of those groups who are now followers of Jesus. And he said, for them... They have the synagogues in all these cities that they can go to. That's where Moses will be taught. That's where Moses will be read. And though it is not essential, if part of their spiritual diet, if you will, is to have a little more Moses in it, they got the synagogues for that, okay? We don't need to put that into what we're preaching. Right? Okay. Now, what about verse 20? (laughs) What in the world is James getting at in verse 20? I'm going to read it for you again. He's saying that they need to write them. We write to them that they abstain, they stay away from, things contaminated by idols and from fornication, which is sexual immorality, and from what is strangled and from blood. Why did he put that in this letter? I don't see anything in this letter about circumcision except for don't, you don't need to do that, okay? And and the law of Moses, you don't need need to do that. Why does he have these things in here? Well, I think that they are included for two reasons, all right? First of all, let's, let's set this up just a little bit. We've got four different, four different items here that are listed. Three of those four items have to do with food. They do. And what they have to do when it says things contaminated by idols, what it's talking about is meat. It's talking about food. Meat sacrificed to idols. Something strangled is talking about food. Something with blood in it is talking about 
food. Now, that sexual immorality, as we'll see here in just a moment, has a little bit of a connection with this as well. And in order to set this up, we've just got to, we've got to talk a little history here, okay? And those of you who are a part of things on Wednesday nights, as we've been for over a year now and working our way for 1 Corinthians, do you remember how much time we spent in our 1 Corinthians study on meat sacrifice to idols? A long, long time, okay? Paul wrote about it a ton in 1 Corinthians. There's a reason for that. There's a reason why it's included here. So many of you are like, oh boy, here we go again. Meat sacrifice dials. You got to be kidding me, preacher. Well, not everybody comes to Wednesday night class, Ronnie, okay? So you're just going to have to hear this for a while, okay, buddy? I'll keep it short and sweet, all right? We won't take weeks at it like we had to in class, all right? We need to understand something about temple worship in the first century. When I mean temple worship, I'm not talking about temple worship in Jerusalem. There were a lot more temples than just the, the temple of Solomon in Jerusalem, okay? Every city had temples. And the vast majority of those temples were temples to Greek gods. False gods, idols, okay? And in those places, they would worship their deities. We get get some insight about this, not just from historical documents from the time, but we also get a little bit of insight from 1 Corinthians as well as a few other places within Scripture as well. 1 Corinthians specifically, though. And what I want you to understand about these young Gentile believers, okay, who came out of a really, really pretty tough lifestyle when they made a decision that they were going to begin following Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to fill you in just a little bit about temple worship for the average first century heathen, okay? All right, you ready? In Corinth, they had a temple, and that temple was a temple where they worshipped the Greek god Aphrodite. Okay? All right. Matter of fact, it wasn't just a place where they worshipped Aphrodite. Corinth was the center, like that was the place that the Roman Greco people, the Roman Greek people would come to to worship. And people would come from miles away to come and worship at this temple of Aphrodite. This temple worship would include a number of things. Feasting would be one of them. You see, because one of the things they did in this temple was, was offer sacrifices to the gods, specifically Aphrodite here, and this would be animal sacrifice. And Goodness, you can make money on when you're done with that, all right? So they would sell the meat, whether to the marketplace or they would have it right there in the temple and they would feast there in the temple. So feasting would take place. Let me tell you something else about the city of Corinth. The city of Corinth among the population was known for its sexual promiscuity, right? And part of that was because of this place of worship for Aphrodite. Temple worship would include feasting as well as participating in activity with temple prostitutes. It is said that the temple of Aphrodite there in Corinth employed at any given time over a thousand temple prostitutes. Okay? So you have all of this going on and then you have in these cities young Gentile believers now. Young in their faith. And putting them in an environment like that is not the best combination in the world, okay? 
So reason number one why James gives the advice to say, stay away from these things is because of that. You need to grow stronger in your faith before you get into an environment like that, okay? But there's another reason for this as well. And it also has to do with immaturity amongst believers, but not amongst the Gentile believers, amongst the Jewish believers. You see, Jesus made it really clear in his teaching. (laughs) Now, he got a little graphic, okay? He really did. But Jesus, in speaking to his followers and to his opposition, he made it pretty clear that what you eat does not make you unclean. And then he followed that with this. He says, you eat it, it goes into your mouth, it goes into your stomach, and then it goes other places, and then it is eliminated from the body. (laughs) It is cast into the latrine. You know, that's what the Greek language actually says. Yeah. Jesus talked about poop sometimes. He did. I'm sorry. All right. He said, nothing of that is going to make you unclean. It's the things that come out of your mouth, the things you speak that make you unclean. And therefore, by saying this, and the writers of the Gospels make this clear, Jesus, by saying this, made all foods clean. So so what you eat, if this food sacrificed to idols, who cares? A ribeye is a ribeye, okay? Well, I take that back. Not all ribeyes are created equal, okay? But if it was meat that came from a temple or meat that came from the butcher, it does not matter. It's just meat. But for some people, it was a problem because they were not yet mature enough in Christ to understand that it wasn't a problem. And therefore, what James says, and he, Paul would say this later to the church in Corinth, if your freedom of eating that meat causes one of your brothers or sisters to stumble in Christ, don't do it. Give up your freedom. For the sake of your brother or sister in Christ. Okay, I told you we are going to get pretty practical. Listen up. It's time to get practical. Because I don't, I've never seen, remember this from class, Ronnie. I've never gone into Walmart and gone into the meat section and seen the section that sacrificed to idols. Okay, it's like, okay, you got, you got your kosher food here. You might find that. But then over here, you got your meat sacrificed to the idols. All right? I've never seen that in Walmart in my life. Now, I'm not saying in some parts of the world you won't see that, okay? But I haven't seen it here. But this does speak to us. This teaching does speak to us. You know, if you've been around this church thing for a while, you know that when this subject comes up, there's another subject that comes up that is very well known to us in this day and this age, and it's alcohol. You know it, don't you? Alcohol. Let me tell you something about alcohol and the Bible. I am not the biggest fan in the world of alcohol. I'll just be straight with you. I've seen it ruin a lot of lives. I have. An abuse of it. I have. So if there was somewhere here in Scripture that I could go to that said drinking a beer or a glass of wine is sinful... Trust me, I would have found it and I would tell you about it. (laughs) It's not there. 
It's not. Now, don't get me wrong. Intoxication, drunkenness, it is sin. And the Bible's very clear about that. In other words, if you get drunk, you are sinning. And if you get drunk and then get drunk and then get drunk and get drunk and it's a regular, you are in a horrible place, spiritually speaking. I hope, I hope you understand that. If you get to the point while you're drinking where your judgment is beginning to be impaired and it affects your behavior and your decisions, you are not just flirting with the line, you've gone well beyond it. And you're in a rotten place. Okay? But back to taking a few drinks. Best way I can describe this, the very best way I can describe this is, is the situation that I found myself in a number of years. It's been quite a while back. Okay? It's not recent history at all. But it was church folk. And I was in somebody's house, and I don't even remember what we were watching. We were, we were, I'm guessing it had something to do with athletics, whether it was a, a, a baseball, um, basketball, football game, probably something along those lines. Okay, so I'm, And they're watching it, and a couple of my friends there, who are church folk, were drinking, each were drinking a beer. Okay? We're watching the game. Yoo-hoo, all right. Probably wasn't watching KU football, you know. Well, we were doing something, right? And then, after a little bit, a car pulled in the driveway. And the person who pulled in in that car in the driveway is somebody who battles alcohol. Meaning it was something they struggled with. I'm going to tell you something. Within 30 seconds, there was not a trace of beer anywhere around. It was gone. I mean, it disappeared like that. And some of you might be saying, well, that's hypocritical. No, it's not. They did it for one reason. They did not want their brother in Christ to be put in a place where he was compromised. Why did they not want that? Because they loved him. You see what I'm talking about here? If you don't get anything else, if you get nothing else out of today, I want you to hear this, okay? We have been given a tremendous amount of freedom in Christ. I'm going to say that again. We have been given a tremendous amount of freedom in Christ. None of those freedoms are more important than the spiritual well-being of our family. And boy, you can take that into the home, okay? Like, like the home, like where you share, you know, with your kids, with your spouse, right? And it, it lives well there. Our freedom in that home is not more important than the spiritual well-being of the people who live in that home. But it does not just happen there. We're talking also about our family in Christ, Our freedom can never be more important than my family. We get that, church? 